0: The History of the World Podcast, written and presented by Chris Hasler. Volume 4, The Medieval World, Episode 32, The Papacy and the Holy Roman Empire. The Holy Roman Empire was effectively created by the papacy and their relationship with each other during the medieval period was not always harmonious, which had far-reaching and long-lasting consequences on the whole of Europe. It seems incredible that the humble role of a Christian bishop could be responsible for this. So let's explore this important relationship a little bit further and discover how this could happen. The bishop in question is the Bishop of Rome, initially just the head of a church belonging to a minor religion within a pagan empire. With the city of Rome being the traditional birthplace of the Roman Empire, when Christianity gained popularity, it was deemed appropriate that the Christian Bishop of Rome be recognised as the Supreme Pontiff, which was the name of the head priest of the Romans, amalgamating Christianity with Roman religion. With the collapse of the Western Roman Empire, the Eastern Roman Empire, with their capital at Constantinople, would attempt to have their own bishop recognised as the true Supreme Pontiff something that the Church of, of Rome opposed. And this is why they established a Holy Roman Emperor, in order to represent themselves as the true successors of the Roman Empire, claiming that the Eastern Roman Empire was not the true successor state of the great classical Roman Empire. It is difficult the open-minded historian to pinpoint the glorious beginning of the papacy through contemporary writings. Even Christian scriptures are questioned by Christians themselves because of various discrepancies. Essentially, it was claimed in Biblical texts that Jesus designated Peter the Apostle as the founder of the Christian church. Peter would establish the bishoprics of Antioch and of Rome, the latter of those being the place of Peter's crucifixion by the Romans, head downwards, apparently in response to Emperor Nero's persecution of Christians following the Great Fire of Rome. Peter was crucified and buried at the Circus of Nero on the Vatican Hill. Thus, he became a Christian martyr. At this time, the bishopric of Rome was not considered in any way superior to other bishoprics in the Christian world. Christianity itself was a minor religion within the Roman Empire. As the decades passed, Christianity would gain popularity, but the success of the Roman Empire during the Pax Romana meant that the people of the Roman Empire generally trusted the status quo and were not looking for the comfort of a new religion. Towards the end of this period, the Bishop of Leon, a man called Irenaeus, made a considerable statement which has echoed down the ages where he recognised the final resting place of St Peter, the Apostle of Jesus Christ, as the home of the Supreme Christian Church. And so this is the first true indication that the bishopric of Rome was considered by some as elite. Not all churches agreed, however. This granted license for the bishopric of Rome to take the moral high ground, claim its superiority and even threaten to excommunicate other bishoprics in Christendom that opposed it. In the early 3rd century, some of the congregation of the Episcopal See of Rome would even oppose some of the decisions made by the Bishop of Rome by electing a rival bishop. So this is where we get the first concept of an antipope. If we consider the Bishop of Rome to be the Pope, then we can consider the claimant against his position as the antipope. It is also sensible to add that Roman emperors would still choose to persecute Christian populations periodically through this period of Roman history too. The bishopric of Rome was further validated in Christendom when Christianity began to be a serious religious consideration of all classes of people including the emperors themselves over the course of the 3rd century. The controversial Arian Christian movement arose in Egypt during this century and that would question the nature of Trinitarianism and the decision of the Roman Empire to support the Nicene Creed. It would condemn Arianism and would further validate the Church of Rome and its followers. Although the re-establishment of the centre of the Roman Empire in the east may be seen as a threat to the bishopric of Rome, it actually served to help it in some respects. Roman emperors would often look to control the direction of the Christian church and it would become more interesting for the emperors to gain control of the bishopric of Constantinople, meaning that the bishopric of Rome would not be so strongly influenced by secular motivation. The primary and most influential promoter within the Roman Empire of Christianity was the Emperor Constantine at the beginning of the 4th century, who would commission the construction of the first basilica dedicated to St. Peter at the Vatican Hill, at the very site that St. Peter was buried at the Circus of Nero. The popes of Rome continued to struggle to represent their position of authority over other bishoprics within Christendom and also on the Italian peninsula. But even though their authority was not accepted by everybody, it was still accepted by many. One of the biggest promotions of the papacy came when Pope Leo decided to meet with Attila the Hun in order to persuade him to call off his invasion of the Western Roman Empire. Some consideration needs to be given on the Western Roman Empire, Valentinian III's general dependence on his senior statesmen such as Pope Leo and his military general, Etius. Exactly how much influence Leo really had over Attila's actions is debatable but the act alone was enough for his bravery to be celebrated by the Christian community with him later becoming referred to as Leo the Great. The Western Roman Empire was falling apart around Pope Leo the Great however and the city of old Rome was now being eclipsed in terms of value by the city of new Rome namely Constantinople and the emperors of the Eastern Roman Empire were keen to have the bishopric of Constantinople on at least an equal footing to the Pope in Rome. Leo was not buying into this stunt at all firmly believing that Rome was the true supreme bishopric on the basis of its connection to the Apostles. And so a schism began to occur between what would become the Latin Church and the Greek Church. After Western Rome The Western Roman Empire fell in 476, but the papacy had very much stopped relying on its survival for validation in any case. That's not to say that it would not be a bitter blow for the papacy in its attempts to belittle the bishopric of Constantinople and there was a danger of the Eastern Romans convincing Christendom of Rome's insignificance. The successors to the Western Romans came in the form of the many Germanic tribes that had been raiding Roman territory over the course of the previous century. One of the emerging powers of the northwest of former Roman territory were the Franks, under the king who unified the many Frankish tribes into one nation, Clovis. Despite there always being popes of differing popularity, there was still a driving force behind the bishopric and the papacy in general. It may have been the desire to gain credibility against Constantinople alongside the Frankish desire to be seen in a progressive light that caused the coming together of Clovis and the Latin Church in 496. With Clovis came the nation of the Franks and so the Franks were officially Christianised which was a win-win for the Latin Church and the Franks. This would give the papacy an idea that in order for it to maintain its status as the supreme bishopric of the Christian church, that it would need to convert as many of the Germanic tribes as possible to Christianity, and so missions were sent travelling across Europe to attempt to convert as many of the pagan tribes to Christianity as possible. During the 6th century, Benedictine monasticism represented a Western form of Christian monasticism that became highly popular in Western Europe. And at the end of the century, when Pope Gregory I, himself a member of a Benedictine monastery, assumed the position of Pope, he would make a considerable effort to convert other Germanic tribes, such as the Visigoths and the Lombards, to Roman Catholicism from the Arian Christianity that they had first embraced. Gregory had travelled to Constantinople as a deacon before becoming the Pope and there he learned of Constantinople's disinterest in Rome, especially after the bitter wars between the Byzantines and the Ostrogoths had taken the once great city of Rome and made it into a place of ruin. The peoples of Italy turned to the papacy and the Benedictine monasteries for comfort during this difficult time and Gregory would send missions as far afield as Anglo-Saxon Britain to convert more Germanic tribes to Roman Catholicism. A major decision was made in Constantinople during the first half of the 8th century that would have irreversible implications – when the Isaurian dynasty of rulers took control of the Byzantine Empire with their Emperor Leo III declaring that icon worship was to be prohibited. The Pope Gregory II was outraged by this decision, so much so that he would write to the Emperor condemning his decision and instructing him that he had no place in instructing the church on matters of religious worship. For the Pope to stand up to the Emperor in this manner was unprecedented. The Emperor was enraged and encouraged the city of Ravenna to march on Rome and have the Pope arrested but the troops didn't get the job done. Instead It was Lutprand, the king of the Lombards, who took the opportunity to win control of Ravenna and then he would try to take the city of Rome for himself. The papacy continued to oppose Byzantine iconoclasm and Lombard aggression after the death of Gregory II and they would turn to the Frankish mayor of the palace, Charles Martel, for help. Martel was not in a good diplomatic position himself to become involved, but this did mark the first time that the papacy looked to invite the Franks to be their protectors. Even after the lifetimes of Lutprand and Charles Martel, the situation between Rome and the Lombards continued to exist. The Lombards were even stronger now that they had expelled the Byzantines from Italy which severed the political connection between Constantinople and Rome. This time the Pope would turn to Charles Martel's son, Pepin, for support. Pepin had his own agenda and an alliance with the papacy would help to serve that agenda. The descendants of Clovis were known as the Merovingian ruling dynasty of the Franks but the monarchs were now just simply rulers in name only with the true day-to-day leaders being the Carolingians such as Charles Martel and Pepin. Pepin wanted to be the king of the Franks and felt that the fact that he was ruling in practice legitimised his claim the one person who could potentially legitimise his claim against the traditional Merovingian ruling dynasty was the Pope. So in order to secure the support of the Franks in their ongoing struggles with the Lombards, the Pope would declare recognition of Pepin as the true King of the Franks. This would turn out to be a significant move towards the political establishment of the Papal States and the Holy Roman Empire. When Pepin pushed the Lombards out of Papal territories, the Byzantines expected that the Duchy of Rome be returned to the territories of the Byzantine Empire as it was before. Pepin refused to return the lands to Constantinople, saying that they belonged to St. Peter in a promise called the Donation of Pepin. This would establish the Papal States, which would now exist in political independence from the Byzantine Empire. But it would require the assistance of Pepin and his son Charlemagne to maintain the defence of these territories from the Lombards during the later years of the 8th century. When Leo III became the new Pope in 795, he was opposed by rivals to the role. Even though the Byzantines voiced their support of his election, they gave no active support to Leo against his rivals, so Leo went back to Charlemagne who was happy to help. In return for his help, and in the face of the lack of support of the Byzantines, Leo would declare Charlemagne as the Emperor of the Romans, claiming that he was the true defender of the Roman people, also claiming that the Byzantine Empress Irene of Athens could not be legitimate because of her gender. For Charlemagne, it wasn't a particularly meaningful title. His achievements in establishing the largest Frankish empire known was much more important. For the Pope Leo III, it was much more important, giving him the political legitimacy of any other nation and showing defiance to the self-serving Byzantines who had maintained a political influence over the papacy for much of its time since the fall of the Western Roman Empire. The Holy Roman Empire After Charlemagne's lifetime, the Pope, whoever it may be, would coronate a successor Holy Roman Emperor and claim them as the defender of the Latin Church. This should naturally be the King of the Franks, but this would become a problem when the three sons of King Louis the Pious were battling for their share of the Frankish Empire. It was quite normal in Frankish tradition for the realm to be shared out among the surviving sons. The North Italian lands of the Frankish Empire became part of Middle Francia, which in turn became the Kingdom of Italy and the title of Holy Roman Emperor passed down through this particular crown. The portion of the Carolingian Empire that became East Francia would prove hard to govern, with there being many independently minded duchies that had been incorporated by the expansions of Charlemagne. By the 10th century it would require a strong ruler to be able to prevent the kingdom of East Francia from fragmenting. King Henry the Fowler would entrust the kingdom of East Francia to his son Otto, who would inherit the kingdom on Henry's death. Otto would make a concerted effort to gain the influence of the bishoprics of his lands. In his own mind, if he could approve or elect the bishops of his lands, he would have the church on his side. Political turmoil in Italy presented Otto with an opportunity to muscle in on Italian business. Otto would mount an invasion of Italy, but due to Italy's weakened position, he would face little opposition and would be accepted as the new king of Italy by the Lombard nobles. He would legitimise his position by marrying Adelaide of Italy, the widow of a former Italian king. The Pope, John Twelfth would crown Otto as the new Holy Roman Emperor in 962, but it would not take long for the Pope to start plotting against Otto. So the new Holy Roman Emperor took it upon himself to attempt to depose the Pope and instate his own Pope. The new Pope would be promised secular powers which would upset the citizens of Rome who would also put forward their own candidate and so an uneasy period of relationships between the Holy Roman Emperor, the Pope and the citizens of the Papal States began. Such was the popular influence of Otto's empire that he would look to approve the election of each Pope in the same way that the Byzantine Empire used to do. Such was the popular influence of the papacy that the people of Rome would not want to be blind subjects to a politically elected Pope with secular powers. From this point on, particular kings of East Francia distinguished as the Kingdom of Germany would be elected as the Holy Roman Emperor and their realm regarded as the Holy Roman Empire. Generally, the papacy and the Holy Roman Empire would have their own political affairs to take care of but they were both attempting to influence each other as much as possible. And this would result in tensions, especially in and around Northern Italy, where loyalties to the Emperor and the Pope would eventually become divided and bitter. The 11th Century The events of the 11th century are particularly considerable when studying the relationship between the papacy and the Holy Roman Empire. Stakes were raised against the papacy and the papacy responded belligerently. When the Normans invaded the lands of southern Italy it was a problem for the Byzantines who still occupied lands there and it was a problem for the papacy who feared the manner in which the Normans disrespected churches and monasteries. For the Patriarch of Constantinople, Michael Kivularius, he would be upset about the manner in which the Normans replaced Greek churches with Latin churches, and his response was to close the Latin churches in Constantinople. This was obviously not popular with the Pope, the Pope at the time was Leo IX. Leo was a Pope who was supported by the Holy Roman Emperor, Henry Third. Henry had stepped in at a time when the papacy was in dispute with rival claimants. Henry supported Leo who was a humble and pious man. Not only was he humble and pious but he was also a man of considerable agency possibly because he had the support of the Holy Roman Empire. When the Normans invaded Byzantine territory, the Byzantines appealed to Leo to stand up against Norman aggressions. Leo did so, but his forces were defeated by the Normans at the Battle of Civitati in 1053 and Leo was taken prisoner until he accepted Norman occupation of the lands of southern Italy. After his release, Leo reminded Michael Kirillarius that the Patriarchate of Rome was the Patriarchate of Saint Peter the Apostle and therefore the supreme Church of the Christian faith. When negotiations broke down between Leo's ambassadors and Michael, the papal bull of excommunication was issued to the Patriarchate of Constantinople, to which Michael issued his own bull of excommunication to the embassy. This is cited as the great schism of Eastern and Western Christianity of 1054. Leo had passed away by the time his embassy returned to Rome, but he had left a respectable legacy which considered his great efforts to clean up the bishoprics of Europe by standing against corruption. Henry III, Holy Roman Emperor, was also the King of Germany. When Henry died in 1056, his kingdom would pass to his son who would rule as Henry IV and he had to survive his minority as a captive of the Archbishop of Cologne. This may have given Henry a cynical view of the Church and he would look to protect his interests by ignoring papal demands. This would upset the Pope Gregory Seventh, who was looking to restore the credibility of the papacy since the chaotic times before the papal office of Leo IX. Henry and his self-approved bishops called on Gregory to abdicate his position as Pope. So Gregory excommunicated Henry and his bishops. This would cause a great division of feelings between those who were supportive of the king and those who were supportive of the Pope. Excommunication for Henry was tough, as those fearful of going against the church would oppose Henry and attempt to install an anti-king. Henry had no choice but to act against the Pope and so he would besiege Rome until the citizens desperately allowed him to enter the city gates and Pope Gregory fled for good. While in office, Gregory believed that it was the Pope who approved the secular ruler by crowning him Holy Roman Emperor and it wasn't the King of Germany who invested the Pope. In fact, Gregory declared that it was not the business of any secular ruler to invest any bishop at all, something that had been happening since before the days of the papal schism, where popes and antipopes were more concerned battling with each other as opposed to who was investing whom to become a bishop, and monarchs were demanding that a bishop pay homage to them before he would be invested. It would be two of the future successors of King Henry IV of Germany and Pope Gregory Seventh, who would try to finally address this episode called the Investiture Controversy. In 1122 it would be Henry V Holy Roman Emperor and Pope Calixtus II who would sign an agreement in the German city of Worms that would ensure the election of bishops was by ecclesiastical and not secular appointment, but that the monarch was still allowed to ceremonially invest the bishops. This agreement is called the Concordat of Worms. A Turbulent Relationship The investiture controversy fractured large parts of Italy for many generations to come. With the lands of the Holy Roman Empire, there were supporters of the Emperor and supporters of the Pope. The supporters of the Pope would have it on their agenda to get an Emperor instated who would stand against the Salian dynasty from which Henry III, Henry IV and Henry V had come from. The Salian line was continued by the Hohenstaufen dynasty who continued to oppose papal authority those who supported the Pope would attempt to support the princes of the House of Velf. This would lead to the communes of Italy, who were the closest to papal influence on a secular level, to choose one side or the other. Those who supported the claimants from the House of Welf and the papacy would be called the Guelphs while those who supported the Hohenstaufen imperial throne over papal influence were called the Ghibellines. In general, the Guelphs were often the wealthy merchants, and the Ghibellines were often the landowners fearing papal state's expansion. The wars between the Guelphs and the Ghibellines transcended the argument over the succession of the Kingdom of Germany and the investiture controversy and would continue right the way through to the end of the 14th century with many factors and tensions between the two political affiliations now becoming a reason for warfare. The reality of the whole situation was that Europe was just not big enough for the Holy Roman Empire and the papacy. International and domestic affairs would constantly cause the two institutions to tread on each other's toes. Different popes and different emperors had different motivations, but often they would be financial. Coupled with this fact that the papacy and the Holy Roman Emperor would have their core principles adhered to on a more local level by the bishops and dukes, and each of them would have their own agendas. During the years around the investiture controversy it was known that local bishops and priests were carrying out something called simony, where pieces of the church estate were being sold off, something that was frowned upon, especially by the Pope, due to it being against canon law. Other impious acts were the sale of religious pardons, otherwise referred to as indulgences. This kind of practice among other things led to a 16th century priest called Martin Luther to question the very fabric of Roman Catholicism as a proper representation of the Christian faith and this created outrage for both the papacy and the Holy Roman Empire who both stood to lose if this anti-Catholic way of thinking was given any traction. Martin Luther was not doing anything particularly new by questioning the behaviour of the Roman Catholic Church's representatives, but the fact that he was being listened to led to one of the most highly consequential events in European history, which we call the Reformation, when the spread of Christian Protestantism changed global Christian worship irreversibly we can certainly see the roots of discontent with the Roman Catholic Church and its medieval nature in the period of the rise to power of both the papacy and the Holy Roman Empire. Thank you very much for listening to this week's episode of the History of the World podcast about the papacy and the Holy Roman Empire and how those two entities uh, were related to each other and how their relationship evolved during its uh, early centuries, the earliest centuries of its uh, combination. And uh, how fascinating. And uh, so much of the story left to explore as well with regards to that, especially with the Frankish antipopes and um, the development of Protestantism. Um, really um, quite a vital part of the story between the papacy and the Holy Roman Empire. But we'll save that for a future episode or or indeed future episodes. Uh, However, um, we're very grateful that you've listened to it and I hope that you you enjoyed it. Um, If you wish to support the podcast, if you did enjoy the episode and you want to support the podcast uh, with its future endeavours, you can just basically go to the historyoftheworldpodcast.com website, click on the Patreon link and sign up to make a monthly contribution. Uh, you can earn rewards by doing so and also you can um get free access to the or i say free access but you get uh, exclusive access i should say to the history of the world podcast debrief in which we discuss the episode that we recently created and uh and some of the f- sources that we used in order to um in order to create that episode so if you like reading about history and you are inspired by the subject matter that you just listened to um, I can give you some pointers and indications as to what uh, books were used uh, for the research so but it may be worth your while you can sign up for a very small amount or, or for as much as you would like to offer to the podcast all of your contributions um really helped me to produce greater quality work so um it's very well worth considering and uh I, I a couple of weeks ago i think i told a little fib actually um we're running a competition called the ancient world cup and i did say that it wouldn't be back until the 10th of october and uh and that was slightly wrong the ancient world cup i can't actually think why i said the 10th of october i've got no other i've got no reason not to bring it back this week so so that's what i'm going to do uh, the ancient world cup returns it's a competition which is an ongoing competition one that started uh, at the beginning of this year we took 64 ancient teams and we boiled them down one by one um eventually it will become a, a final between two teams but we're we're at the knockout stage now so we we got it down to 32 teams by process of elimination and it was all done by votes so uh, the history of the world podcast listeners you hot worlders as we like to refer to you as uh, voted for your favorites in each match and uh we've managed to boil it down to the last thirty two so this stage the knockout stage that we're currently entertaining is the last thirty two teams and um we've already had um we've already had uh, a number of the matches already we've had twelve of the matches already wow um. And now we're going to go on to match 13, which will be what you are voting on next week. Now, you can vote on the Tapper Talk discussion forum. You can vote on the History of the World podcast Facebook page. You can vote on the History of the World podcast Instagram page. Um, You can vote on the History of the World podcast Twitter feed. You can vote in the unofficial History of the World podcast fan group, which you can find on Facebook, all of these things are accessible via links through the History of the World dot com website. You just click on the interact link and you'll see a great long list of ways in which you can follow the podcast. You can actually follow via uh, Tumblr as well. And there are other there are other medias that we exist on TikTok. Um but essentially for voting on the History of the World Podcast webs, um uh, History of the World podcast, Ancient World Cup, I should say. These are the main things that we're presenting the the polls on, and you can go to any of them and, and, and make your vote. This week, uh, Match 13 will be conducted between the Mycenaeans and Han China. So this will be interesting. Different ages. Uh, the Mycenaeans, of course, uh, way back in the second millennium BCE, um, made their um, or established themselves on uh, mainland Greece and the Peloponnese and um, eventually took, took control of um, the Aegean Sea trade routes and um, took over what the Minoans had uh, previously established from the island of Crete they actually uh, sort of took control of the Cretan cities as well. And uh, Han China, um, probably the first meaningful modern dynasty of, of China. When I say modern dynasty, it was a classical world dynasty, uh, but uh, it was very much away from all of the fairy tale, sort of legendary mythology of ancient China and very much a, a, modern, uh, a modern state with, with an emperor and um and Han China of course was really the, the China that the Western world first um, encountered and traded with and it and it lasted for um a number of centuries so it was a very important um dynasty and era of Chinese history so that's our match for this week the Mycenaeans versus the Han Chinese so don't forget to uh, log into any of those um, social media sites and cast your vote Uh, the results will be announced in next week's podcast episode Listener Messages and Reviews New History of the World Podcast Illuminati member uh Valerie Liu has written in and uh she said First off I just want to say that I'm really enjoying your podcast, so much so that I've just gone to Patreon and started a monthly donation. I just finished volume two and can't wait to get into volume three. I did however want to Bring an issue to your attention. I listened via Spotify and was trying to give you a five-star rating. When I click on rate show and have five stars selected the submit button does not appear when I have four stars or below selected the submit button does appear this does not happen with any other podcast I want to rate on Spotify I fear that this will unduly bring down your overall rating on Spotify if five stars is not available as an option I'm hoping that this is a bug and not widespread but I'm sure that I'm uh that if I'm seeing this, others might be too. So what to do? Give you a four star rating because that is the highest available option, or no rating at all, since a four star would bring down your overall rating of four point eight regards. Well, thanks Valerie for pointing that out. I've I've actually gone to the Spotify app on my uh on my iPhone. And I've seen the same issue exist for me, so I'm not really sure why it exists, and the only thing I can do is maybe contact a Spotify support and see if there's anything that they can do. Um, but thankfully, this podcast is hosted by Anchor, which is uh, associated closely to Spotify in any case, so maybe... Uh, maybe there can be assistance uh, from from there as well. So, But well spotted, Valerie, and I don't think I would have seen it had you not pointed it out. So uh, maybe others are experiencing the same thing, but very kind of you to uh, point that out. Eric G. Young wrote in, and uh, Eric uh, is a a close friend of the podcast. He's also a History of the World podcast Illuminati member, and he qualified to commission an episode on a subject of his own choice. And you might remember, um, just a couple of weeks ago, um, we published an episode about medieval weaponry, and that was Eric G. Young's episode he asked me to write that episode uh, and he's written in to me saying hi chris i am a little bit behind on my podcast listening so i just listened to the medieval weaponry i commissioned yesterday uh, it was well worth the wait i truly enjoyed the episode particularly your discussion of siege weaponry and the weaponry of the far east so often discussion of anything medieval o- omits any consideration of cultures outside of Europe during that time. Japan is especially interesting during this period, as you noted. Thanks so much for producing the episode and all the work you do on the podcast in general. I look forward to many more hours of listening enjoyment. Eric G. Young, proud member of Hot World Podcast Illuminati. Eric, thank you as ever. Uh you're a gentleman and thank you and I'm glad you um enjoyed the episode essentially. Japan is especially interesting during this period and it's a country that we haven't spoken much about in the history of this podcast but rest assured that Japan will uh, have a significant amount of episodes dedicated to it during this volume volume for the medieval period so uh, don't worry um, if you're if you're interested in japan it will be covered well and uh, that will be later on in the volume anyway that's it for this week thanks ever so much for listening have a great week everyone don't forget to uh, if you are an history of the world podcast illuminati member if you do uh, sign up through the patreon um, feed if you do make monthly contributions then there will be a history of the world podcast debrief episode there for you If not, then why not consider it? Go over to the Patreon site, sign up to make a monthly contribution and enjoy the extra bonus content there. Until next week, see you later. Be good. The History of the World Podcast, written and presented by Chris Hasler. Please consider making a financial contribution by going to the historyoftheworldpodcast.com website and clicking the Patreon link. Email the show at History of the World Podcast at mail.com and don't forget to join our social media at Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and Tumblr. See you next time.